great to be able to gather on Palm Sunday to worship, even if it's virtual. But we're glad that you're joining us this Sunday and as we've been worshiping and now come to the sermon. We're reflecting this morning on the different ways of understanding that Palm Sunday morning and specifically three symbols that are there. So let's just start with this. Do you ever have a nap where you wake up and you can't figure out what time it is? Uh, Maybe last Sunday during the sermon, you know, they say the only thing worse than dreaming you're preaching is to wake up and find you are. So anyway, you have those things, right, where you you wake up and it's just that moment or two of just, I don't know where I am. I don't know what time it is. And it's almost like that story of Rip Van Winkle. If you remember that, it was a short story by Washington Irving that was written in the early 1800s. But it was this guy named Rip Van Winkle who fell asleep and woke up 20 years later and then just tried to make sense of what had happened in the meantime. So what if you fell asleep and you woke up and you didn't know what month it was, but you saw a decorated evergreen tree, you saw presents, and you saw stockings? Or what if you saw children with uh, chocolate eggs and bunnies? Or what if someone comes and rings your doorbell and when you open the door there's a witch or Superman or a princess? The cool thing about most of our holidays is they have symbols that tell us what they're all about. And they help us kind of know which one we're celebrating. And today as we go through this Palm Sunday with Jesus, it's as if the people of his day woke up and they found all three of those kind of symbols all there at the same time. And they're trying to make sense of it all. So there's three symbols that are hidden in our passage this morning. And the people in Jesus' day would have caught the symbols. They would have struggled to understand them. We, as we catch the symbols, I think we'll understand them a little more easily. But they were struggling to figure out what these symbols meant and what to make of this day that we call Palm Sunday. So the first thing about Palm Sunday is it happens at a time change. Well, not exactly. Um, Throughout John, Jesus has been telling the disciples that his hour has not yet come. Never explained exactly what that meant. But whenever he was asked something, he often responded, my hour is not yet. If you remember at that wedding in Cana, his mother asked him to uh, take care of the wine problem. that There wasn't any. And he said to the woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Another time he was teaching and they were going to arrest him. And uh, it says they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But after his ride into Jerusalem, right after this Palm Sunday that we all remember where there's palm branches and crowds and all that kind of stuff. John has this little story. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All of a sudden, the time has changed. We've gone from the hour is not yet to the hour has come. And As you read that, you begin to see that the hour has to do with Jesus' death. 
What's interesting is that where the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have a story about Jesus being transfigured, where he goes up on a mountain, his clothes glow, uh, they hear God's voice, they see Moses and Elijah. John doesn't have that story. For him, Jesus' glory and his godness are found on the cross. That's where G John always sees the glory of God. And just before he's arrested and crucified, late on that Thursday night before Good Friday, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And so we have this time change that's happened. We now have the hour has come. And we're trying to figure out what that means. And I think one of the things it means is that Jesus is now going to reveal himself as the true king. He's going to reveal himself as the coming Messiah. He's going to reveal himself as the Son of God who has come into this world. And it's going to be reflected in three symbols. And let's take a look at those this morning. The first one is Mary anointing Jesus' feet. So last week we looked at Lazarus with Mary and Martha. Today we look at Mary. And six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus are all at this banquet. Midway through the evening, when everything is just going the way it should be going, Mary suddenly gets up and she gets this perfumed oil made with pure nard, which is a super expensive spice. And she anoints Jesus' feet. And there's this commotion. And Judas questions her thinking because of how valuable it was. He says it's worth 300 denarii. So a denarius was what a working person would earn for a day's labor. So uh, 52 weeks times six days a week, that's about 300. So a year's wages, whatever that would be, four, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 maybe in today's money, that's expensive stuff to pour on someone's feet. And the question is, why does Mary do it? What does the symbol mean? And I think there's probably three options. The first one was she was just worshiping Jesus. She just wanted to give him a special gift, something valuable. So she gives him this because incense was burned every day at the temple. Every sacrifice was accompanied by some incense. So it's a familiar smell to anybody that's been at the temple. Jesus kind of reframes a little bit, and he talks about it being for his burial. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And I think Mary understood that Jesus was going to die soon. And she wanted to anoint him in case she couldn't do it after he died. 
which is what's going to happen. If you remember that Easter morning, the women come with all their perfume and spices, but Jesus has already risen. And so Jesus says, she's done it in preparation for my death. And then the third option, why John may have put this in the story, is that anointing is what you did to a king. It's immediately before the triumphant entry, and she's anointing him as king of the Jews. It's how kings were acclaimed. Uh, Lord said to Samuel uh, when he was going to anoint David as king, Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. So which one is it? One, two, three, which door are you going to choose? You know, the good thing about John, you rarely have to choose. John loves to layer on stuff. And I think John is layered on all three of these. I think he means all three at the same time. You don't have to choose. Probably for Mary, it was an act of, of worship. For Jesus, he saw it as anointing for his burial. And maybe Mary meant that as well. But put immediately before the story of the triumphal entry, which is the recognition of a king riding into Jerusalem, there can be no doubt that also it's meant that it's the anointing of a king. In fact, the word for anointing is Mesach, from which we get Messiah, anointed one, from which we get Christ in Greek. And Jesus was being identified as this anointed one who was coming. He was the expected one. He was a king with a death in his near future. And it's this king theme that carries over to the next day. And on that Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and the next symbol, the second one, becomes these palms that the people wave. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, palm branches were a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. We looked at that feast a while back where you live in a, a little tent uh, for 40 days, or for, sorry, for a week. So 40 days would be nice, but uh, a week of camping. And each day the people would say, Psalm 118, save us, Hosanna, we pray, Lord, we pray, give us success, which is what the people were saying as he rode into Jerusalem. And they would wave what they called lulabs, which were willow, myrtle, and palm branches kind of woven together to make a, a more sturdy uh, bundle to wave. And it comes out of Leviticus. You shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And so for seven days they would take these branches and they would wave them and they would quote these verses that they actually quote on the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The only problem is, the Feast of Tabernacles happens in September, and according to John, this is six days before the Feast of Passover, which happens in March. So, we've also just heard about the Feast of Dedication. That we know better as Hanukkah. It happens in December. And that's when the temple had been rededicated in 164 B.C. by Judas Maccabeus. 
So a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, you don't have to remember this, there's no quiz on this afterwards, but a Syrian guy by the name of Antiochus had come in and had taken over the promised land and he wanted to destroy the uh, Israelite religion, he wanted to destroy uh, the temple, and so he takes a pig and he slaughters it on the altar. And then he brings all kinds of things into the temple. And Judas Maccabeus was a a priest, and he got so upset that he led a rebellion, and they were successful. For the, one of the first times in their lives, the Jews drove out the Syrians who were oppressing them, and they became their own people for about a 100 years. And it says, on the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. And so in our Palm Sunday story, when these guys grab these palm branches and start waving them, what is the symbol trying to say? What is it that they're saying by their actions? It's just before the Feast of Passover, which has nothing to do with palm branches. But we have symbols of the Feast of Tabernacles. We have symbols of the Feast of Dedication. What time is it? And I think when the people quote Psalm 118, that's when we figure out what time they think it is. We see the word Hosanna, and we've sung that this morning over and over again. We see it as words of worship to God, but literally it means save us. It comes out of Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Save us, Hosanna, we pray. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so when John records that, he changes that quote just slightly. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And they add that last little part, even the King of Israel. It's not in the Psalm 118. And it's clear, I think, that the, the people are expecting a second Judas Maccabeus, a second uh, Savior who's going to come and drive out the people that oppress who will get rid of the Romans. And I think it's why the crowd is there on Palm Sunday, but by Good Friday they're not there anymore because he hasn't lived up to their expectations. He hasn't driven any Romans out. So Mary anoints a king. The people welcome a king. And then comes the symbol of the donkey. It says Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it's written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So even the disciples were confused at this point. But throughout these stories, we keep reading about the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. <clears throat> We're over and over again reminded that Jesus is coming as a king to Jerusalem. And I think the people recognized the symbols. Where I think they probably got a little bit confused was the symbol of a donkey. You see, how a king entered a city explained why he was coming. If he was coming as a conqueror in battle, or if he was coming to do battle, 
he would ride in on a horse. So Jesus in Revelation, when he comes again, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And it's a symbolic picture of Jesus and that spiritual war that will end our age. So I think what happened is when Jesus was coming in, he was wanting to reveal himself as the king of Israel because he knew he was about to be killed. He was about to die on behalf of his people. And he comes in and he realizes that they're seeing him as a conqueror. They're seeing him as coming in to drive out the Romans. They don't see a spiritual emphasis. They see a political emphasis. And so he grabs this donkey because a donkey was the sign of coming in peace. And John quotes from the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. One of the things when the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, it'll quote a verse or two, but it usually also references the rest of the passage, which you are supposed to know from memory the way they would have done in John's day. And they would have known this passage because this is a passage that they grabbed hold of. This was a passage that was read at some of these feasts like Tabernacles and Passover and uh, Dedication. And if you kept reading from where we stopped, here's what you get. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall, bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free. And I think, you know, just for clarity, there's three things that, that Zechariah is saying in that. The first one is, I will cut off the chariot, the war horse and the battle bow. And he will speak peace. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not coming to defeat the Romans. I'm not coming as a conquering king. I'm not coming as a second Judas Maccabeus to drive the oppressors out of Israel. It's a sign that he's coming in peace. The second one is, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And it says that Jesus is coming not just for Israel, but for the whole world. That's why John includes, and he's the only one that does this of the gospel writers, he includes those Greek-speaking people talking to Philip that we began the sermon with. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were Greeks, and they came to Philip. And they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And the second thing is that Jesus has come not just as king of the Jews, but to represent all people in his sacrifice on the cross. And then thirdly, it speaks of that. It speaks of the blood of the covenant. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free. In fact, Jesus will say that at the communion table in that upper room. He will say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And Jesus was coming to die for the sins of the people, not to be a political liberator. In fact, Caiaphas, who was high priest, had said that. You do not understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He didn't say that of his own accord, but being high priest, he prophesied that Jesus would die. For the nation. Let's try and tie that all together. 
On this Palm Sunday, three different symbols. The anointing of Jesus as God and King. And then the palms of the people, the people recognizing him as king, but seeing him as a political figure, not a religious figure. Seeing him as a political liberator, not someone who is coming in peace to represent his people and die on the cross for them. And then the donkey as a sign that Jesus wasn't coming as this triumphant king, but he was coming as the representative of the people to die in their place so that they could be forgiven and have this relationship with God. And all of it pointing forward to Good Friday. And as you read that story of Good Friday afresh this year, look how many times the words king appear in that. Pilate asks him, are you the king? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. When he's crucified, it says, uh, when, uh, sorry, when Pilate is talking to uh, the Jewish leaders, it's like, crucify your king. And when he's crucified on the cross above his head is that sign in three languages, king of the Jews. King because he represents his people, dies in their place to allow them to be forgiven and to have peace. And I think what the passage is trying to teach us is if we acknowledge him as our king, then he represents us in his death. If we don't acknowledge him as king, then he doesn't represent us. And so what we're saying is that because Jesus was God, because he was king, he died in place of his people. And we have the ability to be identified as his people if we acknowledge that he is king. If we come and anoint him this morning in some way with our worship. If we come and wave our palm branches in some symbolic way this morning and worship him as king. If we see him on that donkey as the king of peace riding into his city. In Jesus' day, this is what kings did. They rode into the city. Alexander the Great was riding into a city, and the people didn't welcome him. He came in peace, but they rejected him. And he said to them, I am coming back, and when I come next time, it will be in judgment. And I think that's the end of the story. We have the choice of how we welcome Jesus this morning. Is he our king? Or are we looking for something else? And if we're looking for something else and he is rejected, then he doesn't represent us in his death on the cross. Then there is no forgiveness because of his death. Then we have no relationship with God. And so this morning, the, the fundamental question that these three symbols point to the fundamental thing of what time is it? It's where are we in our relationship with God? Do we realize that this is the time of Jesus coming? That this was the time of Jesus' death on the cross for us? And this week as we enter Holy Week and each night there will be something on the web to just kind of 
listen to and reflect on in the evening, if you wish, as we go through those talks that Jesus gives in the upper room. But all of this coming down to Good Friday and that question, when the king is crucified on the cross, does he represent us? Have we acknowledged him as king of kings and lord of lords? And is his death for us on the cross? Good news is all we have to do is acknowledge. All we have to do is acknowledge we need him and his forgiveness. And we can have that. So let's bow together in prayer as we close out this morning. And Father God, we thank you for these symbols of who Jesus was. The way he, the time changed and, and, and his hour had come that he could reveal who he truly was. As the one who deserved worship to be anointed. As the one who deserved praise as he rode into his city to be acknowledged as king. And yet the one who rode humbly on a donkey, coming in peace for the good, not in judgment. And Father, we thank you that you love the world so much that you would send Jesus into this world to die for us, that we could have eternal life. And Father, we thank you as we acknowledge you this morning as our King and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.